Good morning. Today is May 15th, 2022. We're continuing our verse-by-verse teaching found in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, 1 through 16. We'll begin by reading all 16 verses. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you are sorrow, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observance in this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice and I have confidence in you in everything. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now let's go back up to verse 1, but before Denise begins to read, one of the things that I would like to point out is the theme of our study today. The Corinthian church was corrected, but was not harmed. This chapter may seem like there's not much in here that would be teachable, but I dare say it is just the opposite. There are two concepts in this chapter that are incredibly important 
and very, very valuable. So the theme is the Corinthian church was corrected but was not harmed. The second thing is the primary idea. It comes from verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. You're going to understand why I chose that as the primary idea as we go through this. The golden verse is right below it in verse 9. says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. The NIV says that last phrase just a little bit different, and I really liked it. And it says, and I might, I'll just insert it, For you were made sorry in a godly manner, but were not harmed in any way by us. Those are key, and those are very important. We're going we're gonna to delve into this deeply, and that, we'll start with verse 1. Denise, would you read? <laughs> Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's unpack that first verse. It says, Therefore, having these promises. What promises? What's he talking about? He's talking about last week's lesson. I believe he is referring to the ones found in the previous chapter, such as, now is the accepted time. God the Father hears us. See, those are promises that you'll find in chapter 6. God helps us. Another promise in there is today is the day of salvation. We are living in a most exciting time. It is the time of salvation by grace. God is filling his kingdom with people who hear the invitation and accept the free gift of reconciliation with him. That's the time in which we live. But he further says in the second part of that uh, scripture, he says, but let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You know, he's not talking about the act of salvation there. This statement assumes we are saved and speaks to the more mature state of persistent sanctification. Guys, I want to coin that phrase today if I can because I've never heard it said like that, but I would hope that if you're taking notes, jot that down. Persistent sanctification. I think that's what he's talking about. If there's any doubt about what he means, he finishes his thought by saying, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This statement is a strong rebuke to those early Jewish believers that complained Paul's message of salvation by grace was leading converts to believe that they could continue to live in sin or could return to their sinful ways. We know from all of our study in Romans and from other verses that we've studied in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that was not what Paul was teaching. The tenet of faith that we talked about earlier today, 3.06b in our tenets of faith, speaks to this very issue. There are evidences of salvation. Persistent sanctification is one. Twyla, would you read Romans 8, 16? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, that's, that is an evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're saved. Ephesians 4, 24, Clint. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? The new man. That's another evidence of salvation. 
Titus 2.12 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That is an evidence of salvation. Perfecting holiness is an example of grace given by God. Let me say that again. Perfecting holiness. Can I read that verse to you again? Verse 1 is important. <laughs> I don't know how the translators of the Bible decided to break up the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians the way they did, but I can tell you they chose a, a verse, a sentence to start the seventh chapter with, and it is an important one. He says, Therefore, having these promises, we talked about those promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, doing what? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness is an example of grace given by God. He will give us grace if we will but ask for it. His grace gives us this strength this enablement to live lives that confound the world and even surprise us. Why this fixation with holiness by God? Because our personal holiness determines our personal freedom from sin. <laughs> That's it. Our personal holiness determines our personal freedom from sin. As a person who has been addicted to sin, I want to tell you that it is a unpleasant life. If you have a life-controlling addiction, it is an unpleasant life. In the middle of your addiction, all you do is you live to satisfy that addiction. Anyone that's been an alcoholic, been a drug abuser, smoker, I don't know if vaping is addictive, although I think it is, you can insert innumerable types of sin. And we can all go head over heels into sin and become addicted to the pleasure that pleases us, whatever that pleasure is. Now, now, I'm not saying that pleasure itself is sinful, but the pleasure that causes us to be drunk, to be not sober, the pleasure that causes us to not put God first, the pleasure that causes us to be derelict in our responsibilities, those are sins. And God wants to help us with those sins. So when we talk about holiness, it's very important. And God wants us to be holy. And let me say it again, because our personal holiness determines our personal freedom from sin. The joy of freedom is our reward. This is not loading Christians up with do's and don'ts. That's not the way the New Testament grace is structured. The grace that we get from God is not don't do this and don't do that. His grace is let me give you strength to be able to say no to that sin. Let me give you grace so that your desires change, so that you desire the good instead of the bad, the holy instead of the evil. And so today when Paul says in verse 1, let us pursue, he says perfecting Holiness, now I use the word pursue, but he uses the word perfecting, but you, you get the idea. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Verse 2, Denise. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. 
Paul continues this idea from the last chapter. He's just saying, I'm blameless in all regards to the entire church. Verse 3. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I love that. He says, I do not say this to condemn. But he, he finishes that verse by talking about his relationship with them. And I think he is saying, we have true comradeship, true love, richer or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part kind of love and commitment to each other. Paul is saying, look, we're really, we're really friends of the closest type. He says, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Our relationships, our family and friends, particularly those of like faith, bring us great comfort in our troubles. You know, even as a virtual church, I'm no further away than a phone call or a text. That's the truth. Even if you lived in this town with Denise and I, you could not get in touch with us any quicker than you can even in a virtual church. You can pick up the phone just like anyone else can. You can text. You can email me. Our relationships make a big difference. You know, if I'm hurting, I call friends. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even tell them what, if I'm hurting or not. I just want to hear their voice. Denise and I live a long ways from our grandchildren. Sometimes I just want to see them. So we'll, we'll FaceTime them or Zoom with them or something. But I'm comforted just because of those relationships. And that's what Paul is saying to this church right here. He says, I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful, even in tribulation. Verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Paul is, again, <laughs> he is just being so open with the whole congregation in Corinth. Paul was fighting for spiritually unconquered ground in Macedonia. During this time of correcting the Corinthian church, he was also going through a time of great spiritual conflict in Macedonia. If you have ever thought that things were really piling up on you, which I think we all have had those times, right? To the point where you felt like you were about to be overwhelmed, you can comprehend the state Paul was in. Verse 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Wow. It's sort of like... It's like reinforcements coming. Titus, what a great commendation of Titus. What a help. What a comfort. What a strong man of faith. What a faithful friend to Paul. What a burden sharer he must have been. Listen to what he says again in verse 6. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, and Paul was saying, I was, I was downcast, Comforted us by the coming of Titus. We're talking about relationships. It makes a difference. You've got to be able to pick up the phone. You've got to be able to get in touch with a friend. Do it when you need it. Call your Titus and talk to him. And just see what the Lord can do 
through that relationship. Verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest, de your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Paul needed the encouragement of hearing that he was loved and also that his message was heeded. Verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. <laughs> uh, when you read this, you, you, you could really read it and say, well, Paul, you sort of seem a little bit double-minded here. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, he says. <laughs> For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Guys, underline, only for a while. I regretted it for a little while, he says. It was hard for me to write it. Note here that what Paul said to them to bring correction did not permanently harm them. Those are key words. It did not permanently harm them. It was necessary in the same sense that God, through the Holy Spirit, has to correct us at times. And we also have to correct others or be corrected by others. Verse 9, Denise. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. This is a great truth that is almost universally overlooked. Sister Denise will do a short excerpt from Boundaries or talk to us about the book here in a minute. And I know she's going to recommend this book to the congregation. But I want you to know, if you want to grow as a person and also as a Christian, grab hold of the teaching of Boundaries. It will set you free in many ways. Denise, can you talk about the book titled Boundaries? I know for some of you this is like the third time because I recommended it when I was women's leader too. We do not get compensation anytime we recommend books. I stumbled on this book because Jerry and I years ago had an issue in our relationship about another person. It was causing us trouble. It, it was not an issue of anybody it was a family member, let me say it like that. And I was struggling, and one day I was praying, and at the time I got the Joyce, I received the Joyce Meyer magazine from her organization, from her ministry. It was the strangest thought, but it almost screamed in my mind, read the magazine. So I was like, okay, I'll do this, Lord, but it seems kind of weird. But I went, I picked up the magazine, and I went page by page and read. There was just about half page article about how to have uh, having boundaries and needing boundaries in your life and your relationship, and it referred to this book. Well, I don't remember what exactly was said in that magazine, but it really hit home. So I bought the book and started reading it, and then I started talking to Jerry about it. And so when he came home, he said, okay, well, I need to look at that book if it's that good. And he started reading it. Really, the whole gist of the book is having healthy boundaries in your own life. The rest of the title is when to say yes, when to say no, to take control of your own life. Just a real quick 
very small book report about it. The authors, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, help us to recognize what boundaries are or how a life is with no boundaries or in certain areas. They talk about boundary conflicts in several different areas of our life. They talk about boundaries with our family, boundaries with our friends, boundaries with your spouse, your children, boundaries at work, boundaries within your own self, and boundaries with God, and how to implement those boundaries and what some of the outcome might be. It's not all easy to implement boundaries, especially if it involves other people, because they may may not appreciate your boundaries. It's well worth the read. I know that I've indicated that I might teach this one day in the future, but it's well worth the read. And as it's so good, I don't do that. I pick it up from time to time if I have an issue, especially with a, another relationship. Or if we have little issues sometimes, yeah. I will often go, or during my prayer time, I'll bring this book in there and I'll find the appropriate chapter yeah. and reread because it encourages me about who I am and who the other person is. It really set us free. And that issue that, that uh, where the Lord led us to boundaries, it was solved. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and this is the point that I'm trying to make is I did not realize that the Boundaries book was based on biblical principles. But now that I'm continuing to learn from God's Word, I realize, wait a minute, Paul was doing exactly what these guys wrote about in their book. And I don't know if they quote any of these verses from Corinthians or not. That's going to be one of the things I would like to look through when I read it again. But you can see it's, it's tattered and worn. It's because it's gotten a lot of use. It's a very good book. But here's the deal. You say, well, Jerry, how does boundaries apply to what Paul was doing? Paul laid out a boundary for the church. When did he do it? He said, guys, someone in the church is sleeping with his mother. There is sexual sin in the church. He laid out a boundary. It was a godly boundary. Remember, guys, it caused sorrow, right? It caused sorrow in the church. It caused the, the church to grieve because Paul laid that boundary out. But the question is, did he harm them? No, he didn't harm them. In fact, what he did was he brought correction to the church. He helped them to grow. If you can keep that in the back of your mind as we go through these scriptures, let's, let's go back to verse 8 because now verse 8 is going to make more sense to you. See, the whole idea behind boundaries is you can have a boundary without harming another person. A legitimate boundary. Sometimes people want to get into your business. Have you ever had someone do that? Sometimes you have to make them aware of the boundary line because if you don't, you're going to have conflict in your relationship. That's one of the ideas that I'm getting at here. Boundaries are a good thing, and when you do it right, you don't harm them. So let's read verse 8 again. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, see, that's what he's talking about. He said, I laid out a boundary, and it caused you some grief. He says, but I don't regret it, though I did for a little while, because he's saying, Anytime you lay out a boundary, it's going to cause some issues, at least initially. He said, it was hard for me to do, and I regretted having to do it, but he said, I'm glad I did it, and I don't regret it. In the final analysis, he says, I don't regret it. He says, for I perceive that the same epistle, the same letter that I sent to you, made you sorry, though only for a while. And that's the key, only for a while. Verse 9, he says, now I rejoice 
Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. He says, when you guys realized where the boundary was, you repented. You made things right. You acknowledged that you had stepped over the boundary or people in the church had stepped over the boundary. But as a body of believers, you guys together instituted correction with that person and you also repented of that sin. He said, he said that's exactly what I wanted to have happen. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. And it says in the King James Version, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to, to understand the way it's written. It says that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You didn't suffer loss from us in anything. The NIV says, so we're not harmed in any way by us. And that's the way boundaries work. And I'm saying today, good boundaries in your life will also make for good relationships with others in your life. The thing that God does for us is He lays out the boundaries for us. That's the reason we have to read the Word. And we have to read it continually. You don't read the Bible once through and say, okay, I've got it. The Bible is a continual lamp to your feet. So you've got to keep the lamp burning. You've got to keep the input from the Bible coming into your life. This is what I want to teach today, and we're going to break this into two parts. The thing I want you to understand today is that there is a great truth that is almost universally overlooked, and that is if you want to grow as a person and also as a Christian, you're going to have to have boundaries in your life. In the first verse today, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And then he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So today, when I talk to you about your Christian walk, when I talk to you about tools that you can use to improve your Christian walk, we want to do it because we want to persistently perfect holiness. We want to work at it every day. And the reasons we do, I talked about earlier, there is a benefit to holiness. It makes a great difference. It gives you freedom from sin. It gives you joy. So many times, and I want to conclude with this thought, so many times in today's Christian circles, in churches, in Christianity as a whole, a lot of Christians are not joyful. And one of the reasons they're not is because they have sin in their lives. And it's disturbing their relationship with God. And it's also causing disturbances, if I can use that word, in their relations with their fellow man and within, within themselves. Holiness is where we want to go. In verse 1, one more time, it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And with that, today we'll conclude our message. Next week, we'll begin with this same chapter, and we'll do part two. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The first and most important step to eternal life through Jesus is to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. 
It is an act of the will. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20.31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of his Son was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is as easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. Contact me by Facebook Messenger or by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com for more information or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you. This concludes our message for today.